0: Brothers and sisters, welcome to the Christian Fishers of Men Book of Mormon series. I had to remember to say Book of Mormon series instead of podcast. We are on episode 5, which is 1 Nephi chapter 5. Let's go ahead and let's jump into it. Open up your scriptures, whether they be digital, whether they be physical, and uh, let's go ahead and let's get into this. Okay. And it came to pass that after we had come down into the wilderness unto our father, behold, he was filled with joy. And also my mother, Sariah was exceedingly glad, for she truly had mourned because of us. Now, interesting there, because it seems that, um, and this is not to dog on Soraya at all, because I think that this is very understandable. It seems like Soraya maybe she wasn't completely on board. Maybe she was. Uh, maybe she had some doubts about what they were doing. You know, I, I, as I've mentioned before, it sounds like Lehi had a pretty decent life. He had he had carved out a pretty good living for himself and his family and leaving the comforts of babylon is not an easy task it's not an easy it's not an easy ask uh, of anybody and you can see where where she would have a hard time with that especially when you're sending out your kids now by themselves you're not even with them but you're sending out your kids to accomplish a task uh going on for she had supposed that we had perished in the wilderness And she also had complained against my father. uh, Telling him that he was a visionary man. Saying, behold, thou hast led us forth from the land of our inheritance. And my sons are no more, and we perish in the wilderness. Okay. When you click on that word, because there is a, notice that there's a Uh, a footnote on the word complained and it says topical guide murmuring okay so there's that dreaded murmuring again okay so let's let's do something we haven't done yet we've we've talked about murmuring um we've looked at it and we've looked at it using the book of mormon student manual but let's look at it now in the hebrew okay and luckily we can go back to bible sources Old Testament sources and we can see this word used in action and it gives us a parallel to be able to get to be able to understand what we're talking about here with the Book of Mormon with a pretty high degree of accuracy. Even though we don't have the, the original manuscripts of the Book of Mormon to be able to, you know, we, we don't have the, the plates, we don't have the original Hebrew uh, that Joseph Smith translated, we... we we can make those parallels with the old testament with the bible using the hebrew and stuff and that is very very valuable in situations like this okay so let's go and let's let's take a look at the word murmuring and what the hebrew word that they use for that would be okay so you can look this up yourselves too this isn't anything special Uh, the hebrew word lun or lagnan generally refers to murmuring grumbling or complaining in a discontented or discontented manner okay in the context of the Bible uh, we're using the Old Testament it is often used to describe the Israelites complaints or dissatisfaction with their circumstances during their journey in the wilderness that's interesting especially in the book of Exodus and numbers it conveys the idea of expressing dissatisfaction often with a negative or rebellious tone. Okay. Pretty dang interesting, isn't it? And it's really cool. When I, when I saw that, it's so cool that we get these parallels. Cause not only are we making the parallels ourselves, hopefully we're seeing that Lehi is in the, in the wilderness the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Nephi recognized that, and he uses the, the children of Israel all the time when he's talking about this stuff, right? And so, it's cool to see it that even in the Hebrew, we're getting that, right? Like, it's using it in the correct way, and specifically, a call callback to the children of Israel who had the same exact attitude, Right? Now again, this is not to dog on Saraya. I think that this was a moment that she needed to have. I think that this was a, a converting moment. Okay, Laman and Lemuel had the moment multiple times. But they didn't make the change. I think that's the key that we need to focus on here. That as we'll see in the future verses here. Laman and Lemuel didn't make the change. They murmured, uh, uh, Soraya murmured here. But there were some changes that were made on her part and some changes that were not made on Laman and Lemuel's part, okay? So don't focus too much on the the negative murmuring aspect of it, but focus on the fact that this was an opportunity for change, I, I think. And I think that this applies to all of us. If we liken this to ourselves, we're not perfect. Rarely are we going to have a Nephi or a Sam, you know what I mean, or a Zoram moment or a Lehi moment. I think most of us are going to have this type of a moment just because of human nature and who we are. But what you do when you are corrected or you are given an opportunity to to correct or course correct, that's really what counts. Okay, so anyway, really interesting. Super interesting. Um, we're going to do a lot of Hebrew insight into this into this chapter because it's just dripping with good stuff here. So, Uh, so breaking this verse down a little bit. Okay. So we talked about complained and how it's linked to murmuring. And now we have the Hebrew background to that, to the words used for murmuring ties us into the children of Israel. Okay. Now, Sariah tells Lehi that he was a visionary man. Okay. Let's, let's go into the Hebrew here. The ancient word, uh, in Hebrew for visionary is, is uh choza or koza and navi can also be used to refer to a prophet or visionary okay now this is interesting the word uh koza or choza however you say it is typically used to describe someone who receives divine or supernatural visions and insights right i'm going to give you alan's opinion here alan's opinion In the ancient ancient Hebrew, there's not a uh, like a specific word that that directly means visionary, like our English word visionary, in a negative tone. However, in some contexts, the term kosm can be used with a negative connotation. Okay. Um. In in kind of thinking of like an example I could use in English I would say crazy depending on the context you know what I mean if you're like with a skateboarder and he's really skilled and stuff like that you might say man that guy's crazy man he's crazy you actually it's actually has a very positive tone to it you know what I mean because he's skilled he's he's daring he's willing to take risks and he's he's pulling off wicked awesome moves right or, man, that, that power lifter, he's crazy, right? He gets up and lifts all those weights, he's crazy. But then you can also say, man, you see that guy the other day? He was acting crazy. What a jerk. You know what I'm saying? You can use a lot of words to reflect both positive both positive and negative connotations. So think about that as we go this way. And I think that we'll provide some... I'm going to give you a good argument here as to going into this word, this Hebrew word, kozum, and how that would have been used in this context here. So, as, as the word kozum can be used with a negative connotation, okay, um, it often can be translated in the Bible, they would translate it as diviner or soothsayer. And it could be associated with practices that were considered occult or superstitious in a negative sense. So I think that we have a really, really good um, culprit here for because in English, I think we're losing something here. She's telling him that he's a visionary man, and in English, you say, okay, so obviously it's meant you can you can sense the negative tone that's being used here. But we're going to see that Lehi responds and says in the in the next the, the next couple of verses he says, "Well, yeah, I am a visionary man." We're losing something here, and when we apply this uh, Hebrew word with the negative connotation that they typically would use to reflect uh, the words that that we would say as, as a soothsayer or someone who is involved in the occult or superstitious, that adds a little bit to this context, doesn't it? I can now see them saying, oh man, you're, you're, you're a superstitious guy. You're, you're, you know, you're reading the bones or whatever. You're a soothsayer. Like because of your soothsaying ways, you know, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy, (laughs) you know, occult practices, you know, my, my, my sons are are, are gone and we've left the land of our inheritance, right? it changes things a little bit and we get a little more insight into into the word their visionary that they're throwing at lehi okay a really cool possibility um going on here uh, we're going to touch back on that in the next uh, or in verse 4 but just keep that in mind there that gives us a really good I think um candidate for for the word and the idea that I think has been lost in English a little bit, okay? We get the context, we get the tone that Sariah is throwing something at at Lehi here. But I think we having that Hebrew backing there, it now gives us a little bit of of meat behind this verse here. She wasn't just saying he was a visionary guy. You know, hey, you're you're a prophetic visionary guy. It's not I I don't believe that's what she was saying. I believe it was more along the lines of, hey, you're a superstitious, you know, looking too hard into the into these things, and now we're leaving our land of inheritance, the type of thing. If not, you know, I d I don't know if she's calling him a member of the occult or not, but you can see her maybe Going that that road, going down that road in that direction, super interesting, super interesting. Continuing on. Um. Next note. It's it's really cool to see. Again, as we go. Um, Behold, thou hast led us forth from the land of our inheritance, and my sons are no more. Okay and we perish in the wilderness we're getting these callbacks again to Israel in the wilderness and that is not by accident brothers and sisters this um it's one of the pillars of first nephi that we're getting this parallel we're getting something that that nephi is even aware of and that he makes big time big time um a big deal about that that he's saying hey we are just like the children of Israel he tells his brothers that in the in the last chapter and he's likening the scriptures over and over and over and he you can tell he really looks up to Moses and stuff and they're constantly doing the same thing because they found themselves in the same exact uh circumstances as the children of Israel being as a necessity for survival, needing to flee uh, their version of Babylon. Having to go out into the wilderness, uh, follow, following the word of, of the, the prophet, uh, Lehi. Really cool to see. Um, I, I wrote down a a parallel here with Exodus chapter 16. Okay, we going to start in verse 1. And they took their journey from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured, oh, there's that word again, murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died in the hand of By the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Wow. Is that not a parallel, brothers and sisters? We're seeing them have the same exact attitudes. We're seeing them even, like, I'd mentioned this before, the flesh pots of Egypt, right? And I thought, I have to put that in here. And this was the perfect time to put it in here. Because, I mean, look at what they're they're yearning for. They're yearning for that abundance. That abundance of food. And that convenience of the food. You know, it's it's just incredible to see these parallels play out. And I wanted to give you guys an example of one. To show just how absolutely easy it is to make the parallel here. Because it's meant that way. I think the Lord really wanted us to see that. So take note of that as we go forward here. Hopefully you are. Hopefully you're marking this kind of stuff down. But if if I were you, I'd mark down right at the bottom or to the side of verse 2. Exodus 16, 1-4. Really, really good example of showing the parallel here. Verse 3, And after this manner of language had my mother complained against my father. And it had come to pass that my father spake unto her saying Okay. Now but before we get into what he said, I just want to point out this was an awesome example of a of a priesthood leader. Awesome example of a righteous husband and a righteous father, okay? I think that this is something that I strive to that we as men should strive to 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 be the the pillar just like this in this type of a hard time with the uncertainty and the faith required to know that the lord is taking care of your kids okay be a man of god in hard times especially when it comes to times of crisis that require faith let's see what he said here and then i'm going to i'm going to give you guys some scriptures here from the new testament that kind of show how how good of an example Lehi is and, and the qualities that he's e- exemplifying for us. Continuing on in verse 4, I know that I am a visionary man. Okay, now, the word here that I believe he's using is the other Hebrew one that we talked about, okay? The one talking about being a man of God, okay? And that word would be Koza, or Navi, okay? Switching back. I know that I'm a visionary man, for if I had not seen the things of God in a vision, I should not have known the goodness of God, but had tarried at Jerusalem and had perished with my brethren. Okay, he is unshakable. Lehi's unshakable. he standing firm. He's seen some really cool stuff that that really has just cemented his faith. And really just, I, I have a lot of respect for Lehi in this moment. Because if you put yourself in his shoes, like I'd be worried sick about my kids as well. And he's rock solid. He is rock solid in this moment. Which is exactly what uh, Soraya needed. She needed a rock solid husband. A rock solid priesthood holder in this moment. Okay. Um, off to the side, I wrote First Ne or First Timothy chapter six. Okay, let's. I'm gonna give you guys a couple verses here. Let's start in verse eight, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Verse nine, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Eleven, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Twelve fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. This right here perfectly exemplifies Lehi. He has completely thrown away everything of abundant value. He has... Some beasts of burden, I would imagine. And he has some flocks that he has taken with him. And he has his family. He has sufficient for his needs. Okay? And his main goal, his main purpose, is to lead his family to the great Jehovah. That's it. And I think this right here, for us men especially... This is what we need to look to. This right here is what we need to look to and what we need to start teaching our our young men about. Like, this is what men should aspire to be, what young boys should aspire to be. A man of God like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. This one's really cool. Watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. When I see that I immediately think of the military. I I heard that countless times. Stand fast. Okay? That means hold on, hang hang out for a second, stand fast, okay? Stand by. What I thought was interesting when I read that was that it says quit you like men, be strong. And I thought, okay, that's that's weird. I, I don't think we want to teach people or our young men to be quitters right why would it say it that way well let's go back to the to the dictionary i went back to the 1828 dictionary okay and one of the definitions in there for quit is to carry through to do or perform something to the end so that nothing remains to discharge or perform completely that changes that corinthians verse doesn't it now let me read it again watch ye stand fast in the faith quit you like men okay carry through like men perform something to the end like men uh, so that nothing remains uh discharge or perform completely like men be strong that's what men of God are, brothers and sisters, and that's what these are the qualities that Lehi is exemplifying in this moment. I love it i I absolutely love it, okay, going to verse five, but behold, I have obtained a land of promise, okay he's got that he's got that celestial view right there in the which thing I do rejoice, yea, and I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban and bring them down again unto us in the wilderness. Look at the language that he uses there. Brothers and sisters, this is a true man of God. This is what we should be teaching our children. These are the values. That This is why it's so cool. Like, using using the, the Bible with the Book of Mormon together as it was intended, we get this really cool, complete picture of, of a man, you know? And it's really cool to see that the strong language that he uses when he says, hey, I have faith. He, or he, Excuse me, he's not saying, hey, I have faith that the Lord is going to you know, take care of my, of my sons. I, I, I think that he's going to take care of my sons. He says, I know. Okay, there's no wiggle room there, brothers and sisters. He says, I know. I love that. I absolutely love that. He says, no, I know that God is going to take care of my sons. Okay. Uh, I, I highlighted that in my scriptures. I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban. And then underline in red if you if you got it but underline i know and then highlight that that's just that that is rock solid faith verse 6 and after this manner of language did my father lehi comfort my mother sariah concerning us while we journeyed in the wilderness up to the land of jerusalem to obtain the record of the jews and when we had returned to the tent of my father, behold, their joy was full and my mother was comforted. Okay. Let's, let's get into some Hebrew so we can get shed some light on this here. Can, now, as I said, brothers and sisters, there is absolute 100% value in reading these things at like you would a novel and their spiritual protection that will come. I promise you that that's, that's a definite thing. It's a promise. You will be protected spiritually if you just but read these things. okay. But when we make notes, and when we consume these things, and when we, when we immerse ourselves, when we get out those me- metaphorical shovels, and we start getting below the, the dirt here, we start looking at the Old Testament, and we start making parallels. Look up at the, the Old Hebrew there's stuff that we can get and there's an understanding that we can get that is greater than surface level here okay it's it's fantastic i hope that that you're getting this and that we're we're doing a good job at at portraying this that anybody can do this you can get in there you can you can figure out what hebrew words correspond by looking up these words and phrases in in the old testament and stuff it's really cool okay so when when we read the words, and my mother was comforted in verse seven, okay uh the ancient Hebrew word for comforted was Naham that uh just as a note to my ears, my book of Mormon ears sounds a lot like Nahum, okay, so we're going to explore that later, but for now it's not naham, okay in the Hebrew Bible. Naham is often used to express the idea of being consoled, comforted, or even regretful. That's interesting. It can also mean to be sorry or to repent. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay. So, depending on the context of the specific usage of that word and the surrounding words, okay, it gives us those couple of things that it could mean, right? It's it's so cool... That it... That... I, and again... I'm not dogging on Soraya... I'm with her... I probably would be... Complaining... Right there with her... Okay... But this is a really cool moment... For us as... Fallible human beings... To see... That... She obviously was... In the, in the mindset... Of the children of Israel... You know what I mean? Kind of the the negative aspect where she's complaining, she's murmuring. Throwing some shade at Lehi, okay? Using that other Hebrew word that, that would mean more like a soothsayer and stuff like that. But now, I think there's dual meaning here. That Saraya, not only was she comforted, not only was she consoled, right? Um... But I think that there's even that, that re- repentance aspect of the word, of the Hebrew word here. Where there's, there, there's, there's that, that sorrow and there's that, that re- repentance that goes along with it. And I, to back that up, we're going to go to the next verse here. And she spake saying, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Okay? Soraya is now on board 100%. And I I actually respect the heck out of Saria for this because she, 110%, is like, Oh, you know what? The Lord has this one. The the Lord's right. He's 100% right. He's got this. I was wrong. The Lord was right. Okay. (laughs) And it's cool to see that, that Hebrew dual meaning here, that not only was she consoled, but she was repentant as well. As is backed up by her own words here. I think that is so, so cool. Really gives us a little bit more depth into these people. They they become real people to me. When I dig in like this, it's just, it makes it so cool. Okay, yea, and I know, yea, and I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of Laban, and given them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them, and after this manner of language did she speak. Okay, there's that theme again. Notice how the theme keeps going. Getting brought up, okay the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of Laban, and given them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them. That's a direct call back to first Nephi three seven okay, that theme has been so strong in the last uh three this is number three, the last three chapters. And it's really cool to see to see that keep coming up. Like we're being taught here, brothers and sisters, we're being taught, and we're giving shown, we're being shown the, the parallel that you can have with having the the Laman and Lemuel moment, and having the the Soraya moment, but seeing how there's the attitude change immediately with Saraya. And with Layman and Lambule, they do not make that attitude adjustment and it just continues to fester and grow. But Soraya is a hundred percent on board now. And the the theme is really being shoved in our faces that even in the hope or even in the in the face of hopeless opposition, when you've thrown your Hail Mary pass and it and it, even when that doesn't work and your the ace up your sleeve has been used, it's gone. That the Lord is going to find a way for you to accomplish the thing that he commanded you to do. And that's really, really cool and comforting to, to a lot of people. I would hope, anyway. Okay. And it came to pass that they did rejoice exceedingly. And did offer sacrifice and burnt offerings unto the Lord. And they, did, and they gave thanks unto the God of Israel. Now this is cool as well if you go back and you search out the different types of of offerings and stuff like this this verse specifically tells us exactly what type of offering Lehi gave and it was called a thanksgiving offering um, which is also known as a peace offering or fellowship offering okay this was a significant um, a significant ritual in ancient Israel's, uh, religious practices. And it was out- outlined in the Torah, right? In In the Hebrew Bible, they outline how to, how to do it. So this is one of those things that was presented at the altar of the tabernacle, um, which was later happens in the, uh, in the temple of, of Herod and stuff like that. Like th- this is one of those things that happened in the temple, Right. Whatever time frame you're in, this, this is one of those sacrifices that was offered in the temple. And the things that it focuses on, the, the things that kind of characterize it, were, was, was gratitude, fellowship, um, and communal sharing. Okay. So, the purpose behind it is really cool because it says the thanksgiving offering was brought by individuals as an expression of gratitude to god for blessings received it was a way to acknowledge god's goodness and provision in their lives okay so there were three types uh, or three main types of peace offerings the the, the Toda, the Thanksgiving offering, this specific offering was brought in response to a specific extraordinary blessing or deliverance, such as recovery from illness or a safe journey. It was an offering of Thanksgiving for a particular reason. Okay? I find that incredible that Joseph Smith would have got that right like i hope at this point that we're seeing the level of of complexity and things that that are just happenstance to be right here are incredible i'm only 5 chapters in here and the hebrew that is just bursting at the seams that this you know that that this that our modern translation you know, mine is English, the Hebrew that's coming out here is incredible, it really is incredible that these little teeny details are being, to me, discovered, I'm sure there's some BYU professors that are all over this kind of stuff, but to me, just a regular Joe, I'm seeing this and I'm going, holy cow. This is incredible that it's it's just hitting one thing after another, even down to the type of offering, and the little nuances behind it, and the special circumstances in which you would offer it. It's incredible. Um, I'm not going to go ahead and go into the rest of the reasons, as I've I've found the reason why Lehi would have offered that, but. Look that up on your own. Do your own research on that and take some notes. It's really, really cool. I put a bunch of notes in here on mine. And just so I know the the different circumstances in which you would use that that, uh, sacrifice. But Thanksgiving sacrifice. Just look that up. Put some notes on that. And uh, really, really cool stuff. But Lehi... Lehi offered that and... Somehow, Joseph Smith would have got that right if he was a liar. But there's, there's just no way. It's, it's so cool to me to see these little testimonies being brought forth to me from the Hebrew. That there's no way you, you could just figure out. That would be so hard to keep track of. But anyway, going into verse 10. And after they had given thanks unto the God of Israel, my father Lehi took the records which were engraven upon the plates of brass... And he did search them from the beginning. Okay. So I looked up the, the Hebrew word for search. Uh, looking up some parallels with the Old Testament. And it's really cool. I, I wrote down a couple of, of Bible parallels here. But i try to decide if I should give the... Yeah, I'll give you the, the Bible parallels first, first, and then I'll give you the Hebrew explanation for it. I'll do it a little backwards here. Proverbs twenty five two. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Okay? So in that verse, in the Proverbs verse, it's a translation of the Hebrew word, uh, Kafas, kafas, kafas. However you say that, okay. Um, It's emphasizing the act of seeking, investigating, or searching for hidden knowledge or understanding. The context of the of the verse highlights the pursuit of wisdom, um, understanding. I would say, which is um, most often associated with the use of the word. And I'm sure I'm slaughtering the pronunciation, but kafas. Okay, it it appears in various contexts in the Hebrew Bible. And as as a side note, whenever we're looking at these words, context is is everything. Like just how we're looking at the word you know for vision a visionary man, context is everything, right? Just like it is in English, it's the same. But as we have more words in Hebrew, and as we can't transliterate a word-for-word type of translation and necessarily be able to translate the idea of what the writer had. We have to have that understanding of the context, and it's really cool to be able to see that uh, utilized here. Going back and finding something, uh, a parallel in the Old Testament, really gives us that that deeper understanding in our Book of Mormon. And I, I encourage you guys to continue to do that if you're not already. So, uh, the word appears in various contexts in the Hebrew Bible, and it generally means to seek, search for, or investigate. It can be used both literal and metaphorical senses. When used in a literal sense, it refers to physically searching or seeking something. In a metaphorical sense, it can refer to seeking knowledge, understanding, or searching for God's guidance. Okay. I think we can safely assume that Lehi is doing both. Okay, he's physically searching through but he's also, he's, he's using that metaphorical version of that word and he's seeking for guidance as he's looking through his scriptures which is the the plates of brass. And he beheld that they did contain the five books of Moses which gave an account of the creation of the world and also of Adam and Eve, who were our first parents, and also a record of the Jews from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now, something interesting here, brothers and sisters, is that I look at Zedekiah, and that was not his Hebrew name. That is the name, as we, we've already talked about. Okay, Go back to verse or, uh, chapter 1. Zedekiah was the Babylonian name that King Nebuchadnezzar gave to him, okay so it's interesting to me to see and I haven't come up with a theory as to why, but it's interesting to see that Nephi would use the Babylonian name for Zedekiah instead of using his his Hebrew name like that's i the only thing I can think of is that they knew that they were basically a conquered people, so they just accepted it, but I don't know. I don't have a reason behind that, but I I do find it interesting that they would refer to him as his Babylonian name, King Zedekiah. Uh, Verse 13, And also the prophecies of the holy prophets, from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, and also many prophecies which have been spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah, And it came to pass that my father Lehi also found upon the plates of brass a genealogy of his fathers. Wherefore, he knew that he was a descendant of Joseph. Yea, even that Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, who was sold into Egypt, and who was preserved by the hand of the Lord, that he might preserve his father Jacob and all his household from the perishing with famine. So, I wrote a note here. And in my note, I said, cool distinction, Joseph, not Judah, okay? The description of the contents of the brass plates indicate that they contained a record, essentially, um, it, it, was, it was our Old Testament, in essence, okay? As we are uh, familiar with it, but obviously, it had some expanded text, right? Um, it included the genealogy going back through the tribe of Joseph, rather than Judah. Really, really interesting, okay? And there's actually a cool link here. If I remember, I'll put it into the description so you guys can check this out. But somebody... Oh, come on. Copy. Okay. Paste. There's a BYU... This chart, there's a chart put out here by BYU that shows you the contents of the brass plates and it gives it to you in graphical form, which is how Alan likes to see things, right? So, uh, the explanation here, I'll just read it to you guys just in case case you're listening to it on the radio or whatever. But the plates of brass contained a copy of the law, the first uh, five books of Moses, a history of the Jews. Lehi's genealogy and the writings of many prophets. Some of these records were comparable to certain books now found in the Old Testament, but others did not find their way into the Bible. Nephi's summary of these contents found in first Nephi chapter five verses eleven through fourteen is graphically displayed here along with sample references illustrating the profound influences of these records elsewhere in the Book of Mormon. Uh, super cool. If, if if you guys are able to click on the link, check it out. You could uh, actually download a PDF, and it will show you these. Um, it'll show you how some of the stuff, like where it shows up in the Book of Mormon. Um, kind of like what it what the 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 idea is of it behind the chapters and the the essence of, of what like Isaiah is talking about in the Book of Mormon. It talks about Zenos, Zenoch, Neum, okay, Joseph. There's some things that we that we don't have in our current Old Testament that that basically Nephi was able to record and, and give to us. So it's it's really cool to see it come through. Um, a different set of scriptures as they had access to that stuff originally. We don't have it, but because of the Book of Mormon, because of Nephi, because of faithful uh, ancient prophets, we now have the words of some of these guys, uh, like Zenos and Zenic and stuff. Just Even if it's just a glimpse, we, we get ideas behind stuff, and it's really cool to see. Um, Let's go back here. I will remember to put that in because that's really, really cool. Going to verse 15. And they were also led out of captivity and out of the land of Egypt by the same God who had preserved them. There it is again. They're making that parallel. Okay. Now think about this, brothers and sisters. We're pointing out these parallels, but what does it matter to you? What is the, the At this point... The Book of Mormon is speaking to us. There's there's an overarching idea here that is being spoken to us, right? And it's really cool because this is going to get hit on. It's going to get hit even harder, but in a different way. Like we're getting the idea to get out of Babylon here. Now think about the the caves. You know, the cave full of records. That Mormon had access to, and why would he choose this stuff? What is is Mormon? Uh, well, I should say, what is the Lord through the Spirit and through the prophet Historian Mormon? What is he wanting us to get? You can you can look at these first five chapters, and you can start to get an idea here. Okay, what is First Nephi all about? about getting out of Babylon it's about doing hard things impossible things if you got Jesus at, you know as, as your guide if you got the great Jehovah telling you to do something and he commands you to do something he's going to provide a way for you to do it that's it's incredible like we're, we're getting a really really cool message here and it keeps hammering it home it keeps it's hitting us with repetition Okay? that's how that's how I learn stuff I have to re- repeatedly do things that's how I figure stuff out okay I don't think that it's it's bringing this all up over and over and over on the special you know amount of plates that we have that that precious amount of real estate on the plates that Mormon had to work with that he according to him says that he couldn't even record a thousandth of, of the stuff that they had. Yet this is what they's recording. Pay attention to it. Look at the whole Book of Mormon through that lens. Okay? Do not sleep on that. Uh, verse 16. And thus my father Lehi did discover the genealogy of his fathers, and Laban also was a descendant of Joseph. Wherefore he and his fathers had kept the records. Okay? Now I had just a a thought experiment here for you guys. Because it's kind of a throwaway statement where it says, uh, talking about Laban, because Laban was a descendant of Joseph as well, thus he would have been a distant relative of Lehi. So it says, Wherefore, talking about Laban, he and his fathers had kept the records. So, Think about as a thought experiment the consequences of one generation dropping the ball now this is this is Alan's uh speculation okay so separate this don't record this in your in your book of Mormon or whatever you know what I mean maybe this is good study journey journal material but could Laban have been able to join with Lehi if he had been righteous? Interesting thought. Is there an alternate path here that could have have been? Would Lehi have been, if he had been righteous, would he have been invited to go with Lehi as he was the record keeper? It would have fallen to him to do that. Interesting, 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 isn't it? obviously we know how things play out but but man i I just can't help but think like it really hit me hard when i was when I was uh reading and researching and stuff I thought man I wonder if there was a missed opportunity here for ol Laban because he was given multiple chances to give the records as a wicked man if he would have been a righteous man I bet he would have been with them i would, he would have joined with them Anyway, interesting thought experiment. Just just wanted to, to get you thinking there a little bit. And now, when my father saw all these things, he was filled with the Spirit and began to prophesy concerning his seed. Okay? We're getting some Spirit of Elijah here, brothers and sisters. Verse 18. That these plates of brass should go forth unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people who were of his seed. Okay. So this is extremely prophetic in his time. This is roughly 1,100 years later. Okay. There's a quote here that that happens 1,100 years later that I'm going to read to you guys. ...from one of my personal heroes... ...William Tyndale. Okay? And if you don't know who that is... ...please look him up. He, he is the guy that... ...basically put his life on the line... ...and ultimately paid with his life... ...for translating the Bible... ...into English. Um, which would have been 16th century English. And this quote is... "...I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more about, or to know more of the scriptures than the Pope. Powerful, powerful, powerful. I would call it prophetic. Because Joseph Smith was a boy who drove the plow. And I would say that he probably knew more than most of the people who've walked the earth. He knew more about about the scriptures and about the gospel than a lot of people that have walked this earth, uh, including prophets. Okay, being being in the position that he was in, uh, being the guy to usher in the fullness of times, the prophet, the man of, of the the fullness of, of of these latter days, the last dispensation. Okay, like it's just really cool how all this stuff goes together and it, it, including William Tyndale in, in there with this quote ties it in so well to Joseph Smith. And it just adds as a second witness, because we will get more than that. We'll get the official witness here in the Book of Mormon shortly. But it's cool to see that, that parallel, that even without that official witness... We've got more. You know, we've got stuff on it that's standing on its own. And it just blows me away, brothers and sisters. I hope that this excites you. I hope that this is becoming delicious to you like it is to me. And that you'll never approach your scriptures the same way again. Like this, this really is a feast. This is a, an absolute feast. Um, verse 19. Wherefore, he said that these plates of brass should never perish, neither should they be dimmed any more by time. And he prophesied many things concerning his seed. Okay. It's cool to see that the that it happened. We have it's cool because we have this connection with Nephi and with Lehi and these people. We had access to the writings of Isaiah they had access to the writings of Isaiah we're we have their stuff maybe not completely but we have a lot of their stuff a lot of their canon that they were reading and it's a part of our scriptures and do we even read it like for me it's a it's a connection with these people you know these these people may have well has, may as well have spoken an alien language. Their culture was alien to us in almost every way. They they read the complete opposite direction. This, they thought differently. You know what I mean. Things that were important to them uh, may not be as important to us. We just are different. Now we're all humans and. There, there is an aspect of human nature here that will always present itself. But the fact that God used somebody from 600 B.C. to record all this stuff to give to us in these latter days where we have nothing really in common other than the great Jehovah, the gospel, um, it, it's incredible to me. It's so incredible to me that, that it works this way. And it's really cool to see that that this happened, that the brass plates, you know, the 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 Old Testament, it it did survive, and because of men like William Tyndale. Not only did it survive, but William Tyndale noticed that it was being translated with a bit of an agenda, and he didn't like that, and he wanted that these writings. He wanted the Old Testament and the New Testament to be to be, translated in their purity as well as he could do. And I respect the heck out of him for that. I absolutely respect the heck out of him for that. There is a BYU-produced um, documentary. It was... Oh, how long was it? Maybe four hours long on the uh, coming forth of the King James Bible. Um, It's called Fires of Faith. Check it out. It is so good. It is so good, brothers and sisters. You can learn all about these guys and what they gave, what they ultimately died for. These were men of God, 110%. Um, Going back to the brass plates. Have you ever... As I read this, I thought to myself, I don't know what happened to the brass plates. (laughs) You know... We focus on the golden plates and stuff like that. Um, and we know what happened to those. But, uh, basically, Moreau and I took those back. But, what about the brass plates? I thought to myself, what what happened to those? I was curious, so I researched it a little bit. So, okay, if we go to the Journal of Discourses, okay, then we can get an answer as to what happened to them. These records have been preserved and are in the care of Moroni today in accordance with the dispensational authority. President Brigham Young related Oliver Cowdery's vision of these records. When Joseph got the plates, the angel instructed him to carry them back to the hill Cumorah, which he did. Oliver says that when Joseph and Oliver went there, the hill opened and they walked into a cave in which... There was a large and spacious room. He says he did not think at at the time whether they had the light of the sun or artificial light, but that it was just as light as day. They laid the plates on the table. It was a large table that stood in the room. Under the table there was a, a pile of plates as much as two feet high. And there were altogether in this room more plates than probably many wagon loads. They were piled up in the corners and along the walls. The first time they went there, the sword of Laban hung on the wall. But when they went again, it had been taken down and laid upon the table across the gold plates, and it was unsheathed, and and on it was written these words, This sword shall never be sheathed again until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and his Christ. Okay, so as I read that... I almost got goosebumps here. I do have goosebumps. There's no almost about it. As I read that, there's something that occurred to me... that didn't occur to me... as I read this the first time. So, cool story. (laughs) Right? First and foremost, really cool story. To have an understanding... to know what happened to the brass plates... that they are as well in the care of Moroni, right? But not only that, we get the the interesting detail that the sword of Laban okay the sword of Laban was unsheathed and laying across the golden plates and that it wouldn't be sheathed again until the kingdom of this world or the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and his Christ. There's symbolism here. <laughs> I see and I'm gonna research this some more, but there's symbolism here. The 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 covenants that we have in the Book of Mormon And then having a sword placed on top of that. That is not sheathed. That is a a bare sword. I can see that representing some judgment. Upholding some covenants and some judgment for for those perhaps who do not take these things seriously. Or who have rejected them or who will reject them. Yeah, I'm thinking here but... I'm gonna look more into that and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to come up with something for you guys, but that's just just on the fly here. I'm seeing something. I'm seeing some symbolism that needs to be fleshed out a little bit more. And if you guys find something on that, if you got some ideas, go ahead and, and hit me up. Put it in the comments if you'd like, whatever. But there's something there. There's something that needs to be understood there. And I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> anyway. Really, really cool that we see, that we know what happened to the brass plates. And that someday, brothers and sisters, we're going to be able to to get a pure translation of all this stuff. Of, of, of the Old Testament, of having the words of Zenic in their fullness, of Zenus you know seeing all these obviously the lost 10 tribes like it's just really cool to 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 know that in our future we're going to get access to some really cool stuff but we need to we need to take this stuff the book of mormon we need to take this stuff seriously and we need to know it and understand it we need to know all of our canon first before we can get on to that but still very exciting um verse 20 sorry that was a long tangent but verse 20 And it came to pass that thus far I and my father had kept the commandments wherewith the Lord had commanded us. And we had obtained the records which the Lord had commanded us, and searched them, and found that they were desirable, yea, even of great worth unto us, insomuch that we could preserve the commandments of the Lord unto our children. Okay? So... Think about that, brothers and sisters. Why would it be so desirable to you? Why, why is it desirable? Why is it is it? Why do they have so much worth placed upon them? Um, I've already brought up one of the one of the reformers, but I would say look to the reformers for the importance of the word of God. I wrote that um in in my heading here to the side of verse twenty one. Reasons. And I've already touched on this, but some of the reasons why uh, why William Tyndale translated the Bible into 16th century English was to have access to the scriptures. Um, he obviously wanted to have some religious reform. He wanted to correct some errors. Uh, because, and there were outright corruptions of what he saw in the existing translations of the Bible. Okay? He had the know-how to fix that, and so he did. And obviously he was in defiance of the uh, church at the time of their authority. Okay? Translating the Bible into English and making it available to the masses was seen as a direct challenge to the authority of the Roman Catholic Church which had control over religious doctrine and interpretation at that time. Tyndale's work was, in part, an act of defiance against this authority. Uh, Education and empowerment. Um, Tyndale believed that through the translation of the Bible, people could be educated in matters of faith and morality, and they would be empowered to make informed spiritual decisions. He wanted to give individuals the tools to have a personal relationship with God through their understanding of the scriptures. Really cool. See, this is the type of stuff that gets, it gets brought up with um, prophets. They'll use these types of negative things by, by uh, unauthorized people who had unauthorized ownership and, and of not only the, the book itself but of the original manuscripts and stuff like this and the fact that William Tyndale recognized that and, and felt so strongly that he needed to, to fix those wrongs, that he needed to right those wrongs it just blows me away that he would do that he literally risked everything to do that I have so much, so much love in my in my heart for this guy. Because what he gave us, I, I just hope that we, like for me, it makes me feel bad that I don't know it better. It really does. You know, look, looking at what Joseph Smith, uh, he gave his life to. He gave his life for this, that we can have this Book of Mormon. And man, I hope it makes you feel bad if you haven't been studying it, because this is, we need to know this. We need to know this stuff. Okay. I, But I hope it is desirable. I I hope that, like Joseph Smith, it is becoming delicious to you, brothers and sisters. Very, very last verse. Verse 22, and we're going to close it up. Wherefore, it was wisdom in the Lord that we should carry them with us as we journeyed in the wilderness towards the land of promise. Okay. Now just an interesting thing, the last mention I can find of the brass plates was in Alma chapter 37, okay? So this would be roughly 500 years later from this point. Alma chapter 37, verse 3, and these plates of brass, which contain these engravings, which have the records of the Holy Scriptures upon them, which have the genealogy of our forefathers even from the beginning, okay? So that would have been 74 B.C. Kind of cool. But we know... I mean, it's not... It's one of those things that where they're... Why would they mention them a whole lot after that? But it's cool to see that that they are mentioned after that in Alma chapter 37. We get this overarching idea of how valuable these covenants are and were to these people to us we get the idea of leaving babylon of leaving behind all of the things that are of uh, of a natural man of a material worth we get the idea of what is actually important your family your god the scriptures being able to follow the commandments, and having this, these sets of 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 commandments and values and, and understanding. So that you can teach your kids this stuff. What what are we teaching our kids out of, brothers and sisters? What what are we teaching them about what really is important? I hope that you guys are getting something out of this. I know that I sure am. I know that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. I know that as much as I know anything, brothers and sisters. This has been so intensely awesome (laughs) to be able to, to dive into and to get... To, to wrap my mind around this stuff and to dig deeper than I've ever dug before with with a different perspective than I have in the past having access to technology that allows me to see literally what what the parallel Old Testament Hebrew word is used for in you know in relation to its English Parallel here in the Book of Mormon and getting just incredible insights and understanding. Looking at the overarching ideas. And using the, the, the lens of what is Mormon, you know, what is the spirit through Mormon trying to tell us here? What are we meant to understand? So far, we need to get out of Babylon. Babylon. We need to get out of Babylon and realize what is the most important thing in the world to us. In the eternities, I should say. It's not money. It's not power. It's not wealth. It's not inheritance, okay? It's family. It's God. And it's teaching the commandments and the scriptures to your children. Incredible, incredible, incredible. I am grateful for you, brothers and sisters, that you would take the time to listen to, to my words and my thoughts on this stuff. Um, it's of great comfort to me to know that there are people who are listening. There are good saints out there, my, my brethren, my sisters, who, who are fighting the good fight, who are striving to be good, who are striving to do what their savior would have them do and I hope that we at some point in the near future will be able to kneel at the feet of the master and that we'll be able to welcome him into the new Jerusalem together having gone through some serious trials and tribulations just like Nephi and Lehi and Sariah but ultimately knowing that we were commanded to do something And that God will never give a commandment without giving us a means whereby we can accomplish the thing which he has commanded us. I love you guys, and I say these things in the name of Jesus the Christ, the Lord, our Master, our Savior, the great Messiah. Amen.